Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to your big sister. Before we start today's episode, we did want to put out a trigger warning. We talk about topics that include depression, anxiety, and suicide. So if you're sensitive to these topics, please go ahead and skip this episode. Welcome to Your Big Sister, the podcast with the big sister you always wanted. I'm Marina, and I'm a big sister, functional medicine health coach, and bookworm. And I'm Liz. I'm a little sister, cryptocurrency educator, and reality TV expert. We live 1,338 miles apart, but still support each other through health, career, relationships, and life. These are our conversations. Hey, Marina. Hey, Liz. What are we talking about today? Our topic today is using medicinals to survive capitalism. Oh, you know, this is one of my favorite topics. And in moments of crisis, this is the one thing that I can offer the medicine that I take to get through. Yeah, you know, this is true. And I'm I'm definitely a late adopter of medicinals, specifically pharmaceuticals. So let's back up. Let's define medicinals because, you know, we could talk about my AM and PM supplement regimen. We could talk about recreational cannabis, which is legal in both of our states. But today we're specifically going to talk about prescription pharmaceuticals, namely antidepressants and ADHD medication. Right. Yes. Because I think that there there's a really large uh, nationwide conversation right now about pharmaceuticals, specifically o- opioids. Um, I think that a lot of people, especially in my circle, social circles specifically, are very anti-pharmaceuticals. Um, but I always want to shed light on the fact that they have helped me a lot function in my life in a more productive way and made me happier. Absolutely. You are one of the most, well, you have been one of the most consistent people who have recommended antidepressants to me over the years. I didn't start taking antidepressants until November of 2020. And I can't stop recommending them to my friends. I wish that I would have started antidepressants sooner. I think that, you know, here's a, here's a disclaimer for this particular episode of the pod. Neither one of us are medical professionals. This is not medical advice. You know, we're just having this conversation from our own perspectives. Your mileage may vary. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Absolutely not a medical professional for this from the truth. This is just my experience. Like, I'm a bookworm and Liz is a reality TV expert. (laughs) So I want you to keep that in mind as we chat. But but this is something that has impacted us both so, so much. So I think I want to talk about antidepressants first. Um, what, What has been your journey with antidepressants? When did you start taking them? Like, what clued you in to try them? Like, anything else you want to share about Yeah, I think my journey with antidepressants started around 2016. I had been living in Seattle for about a year. And around this time, I had definitely noticed that I had seasonal affective disorder, where during the wintertime, we don't really have any sunshine here. So I was feeling very depressed. And I think depression symptoms are different for everyone. For me, what it looked like was not taking care of my personal hygiene, not connecting with friends or family, um, not, you know, for me, the biggest thing is I wasn't getting up on time to go to work and showing up on to work on time. And that's big for me because I am a really 
good worker bee and I always have been I'm always been a person that's on time takes a lot of pride in my work and I'm very serious about my career so the fact that I started seeing those types of things slip I knew that something was not right so I decided to talk to my primary care physician at the time and I would say at the the time I did not find her to be very helpful so essentially the experience was this I went to her office. I was in an examination room and I filled out a form that was 10 questions. And it was a question uh, scale one to 10. One was strongly disagree, 10 was strongly agree. And the questions were I often feel sad. I often feel like the world would be better without me. I often feel like I don't want to take a shower. Really kind of weird things. And the way that this was a worksheet, mind you, and I could tell it was from 1976 and had hadn't been updated since then. So <laughs> based on this worksheet, I received a diagnosis and uh, I started taking Pristique was the first one that I ever took. It's I, I'm going to have to Google this really quick. It's a SNRI, so a serotonin and norepinephrine. Re, re, oop, okay, I can't pronounce this, Marina. You're going to have to help me. Um, okay. Serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. That's the word reuptake. Okay, so um, I found that to be helpful. Originally, she gave me a trial of a two-week trial. I thought it was great. Loved it. I was, you know, I could already feel a difference in my mental state, in physical state as well. So then I asked for a prescription. Oh, and wouldn't you know, my insurance didn't cover it. Huh. So Ugh. then, you know, this this then starts the journey of it being very exhausting to find the medication that's right for, for me. So then I do another two-week test with a different drug called fluoxetine, which is a selective serotonin reuptake re-inhibitor. So it's a little bit different. So that's an SSRI versus before I had tried an SNRI. And I think these are two of the three kind of classes of antidepressants. So I ended up taking that one. It ended up feeling like it was working. And um, so I started taking that one for a couple of months. Uh, then I kind of got into this pattern of forgetting to take it. I would go into, like, I would go on a trip and I would just forget my meds. You know, I'd be really busy in the morning and I wouldn't take it. And I would immediately just feel crash. I don't know. Or just, you know, have a really terrible, like, go into a downward spiral if I didn't take my medication for one day. And then I felt like a prisoner to my meds. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was tough. Um, so I kind of, I talked to my doctor about it and, you know, she was not very helpful. So and I, what did I end up doing was just getting off them completely. And the way that that's done is, you know, I can't remember the dosage I was taking, but maybe I was taking 150 milligrams, you know, for one week, the next week, hundred, the next week, 50 until, so you kind of wean yourself off the meds. And then I didn't take any meds for probably 18 months. And it was because I had that horrible experience where I then felt like I was a prisoner to the medication where I had to take it or else things would be worse than they would be without the medication. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've heard, so when I've talked to friends who are hesitant to start 
antidepressants, this is the main thing I've heard is that I don't want to be dependent on a medication. I don't want to need to use a medication to function. Um, it's like, it's a very real sort of scary feeling. And so this is actually something that you experienced. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And I will say like, everyone's different, right? So I, of course, later on found out it's because I was not on the right medication. And so you kind of go through this journey about what's figuring out what is right for you. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely, I definitely experienced that and it was not a good feeling. It was not a good time in my life, but, um, I ended up changing primary care physicians. I talked to her about it again. I kind of told her the issues that I was having with the previous medications I took. And so finally she had prescribed me Wellbutrin, which is a, a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. So previously I was taking serotonin and norepinephrine inhibitors, SSRI, SNRI, but this is a dopamine reuptake inhibitor which I've now been on this one for about two and a half years, I think, probably almost three at this point, honestly. Um, and it is my, it's my drug. I take, uh, I take one every day works best with exercise for me. So I'll take my, my little white pill in the morning, go for a little 30 minute walk. And it has truly like stabilized my mood. My, I feel like, you know, I, the symptoms that I was talking about when I originally recognized that I had depression, so not taking care of my personal hygiene, not connecting with people, kind of not being on my A game at work. I think a lot of those um, are controlled by the medication. Also, just my emotions in general feel much more regulated. I think when I'm not, I'm not, well, I shouldn't say when I'm not on it, but when I don't take it for probably a week, I start to kind of like just get sad, I would say, is the easiest way for me to describe it. But all is that to say is that when I don't take it, I can take it, you know, for like up to a week and I don't really notice, you know, versus when I was on the other medications, I didn't take it for one day and I would just immediately spiral. So mm-hmm. I don't think that it's as, as for me as, I don't know, it doesn't alter my brain chemistry you know I honestly I really don't know I can just speak to like what my personal feeling is I'm not sure what the answer is here I guess the answer is that I was deficient in dopamine and not deficient in serotonin I don't know but that's my story it's so hard I wish that there were I mean maybe there are neurotransmitter tests out there I definitely am aware of some like in the functional medicine space that haven't necessarily you know haven't been FDA approved and that kind of thing so I'm not sure like where the science stands on that but I as far as my experience goes it's really similar in that it's mostly trial and error to try to figure out well, what is the neurotransmitter imbalance that you're experiencing and what's going to be the best medication to support that And, um, fun fact. So dopamine is one of the primary things that acts in ADHD in women. So while butrin is approved for off-label use, well, I shouldn't say approved for because it's off-label, but it is also used for treatment of ADHD. And, um, I definitely saw like the few ADHD symptoms that I experienced improve when I also started Wellbutrin. And we're going to talk a little bit about ADHD, um, in a minute, but I want to wrap up talking about antidepressants. Um, thank you so much for sharing all that super detailed. Um, I have a couple more questions for you though. So, um, 
you know, you are somebody that has been very open about taking antidepressants. You've definitely talked to me about it and recommended it over the years. What is it like when you recommend medications to people? How do people respond to that? How is it received? Yeah, I mean, typically with the response that you had just shared with me, uh, I was talking to a friend who is having some pretty severe depression symptoms right now, and I had definitely recommended to them to start medication. Their response was, well, I just don't want it to alter my brain chemistry. I don't want to be dependent on it. And my point of view is, again, I'm not a medical professional, but my point of view is that it should alter your brain chemistry because there is a deficiency there, right? And so you need it to then alter your brain chemistry. And I think that, you know, research does show us that we become dependent on them, but, you know, it's almost like you wouldn't tell a diabetic person not to take their insulin and diabetic people are reliant on insulin because they have a deficiency. And it's the same thing with our brains. And it's just interesting that we treat our brains in such a different way that we treat our bodies. You know, you don't tell people not to take their insulin or their blood pressure medication or anything of the like, but it's, there's such a stigma around taking antidepressants to fix your brain chemistry. Yeah. I mean, there are people out there in a wellness world who tell diabetics not to take their insulin. There is this like just crazy desire to be so independent and just be so healthy and I don't know, exercise your, you know, exercise and diet, basically your way out of anything, any chronic condition or mental health issue. And I know for me for a long time, I really believed that I, I I would always say this, I would always say, I'm really fortunate that my anxiety and depression are well managed with lifestyle changes. Um, And I really believed that the way that I was eating and um, the frequency with which I practice yoga was protecting me. And what I think I, my perspective has completely changed now that I've been on Wellbutrin for several months, I look back and I'm like, holy shit, I've been so depressed for so many years, have really been missing out on life. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, you said this to me once and I think it's so true. It's so true for me too. I feel like Wellbutrin has allowed me to be myself. Um, and also I should say like, I don't take, uh, I don't take like name brand Wellbutrin. It's Bupropion XL. Yes. That's what I take too. <laughs> generic, generic all the way. But, um, <laughs> I feel like I can, I feel like I am actually able to be myself, like whatever was preventing me from like fully experiencing um, just like connecting my little, my little allowing my little brain to connect has sort of cleared up. Um, and so that it's been super interesting for me as well. Cause I've had a really similar experience. I've had people, uh, I have a couple of friends who've had really bad experiences taking antidepressants in the past, you know, really similar to what you described. And when you don't have the support of a good, care provider who's explaining to you along the way, like, hey, we're going to try this for two weeks. You might feel really weird. You might have really bad reactions. Um, We need to talk about that. I want to know what your symptoms are so that we can adjust. I was super fortunate. I had a great nurse practitioner. She told me that from the get-go. She was like, we're going to try Wellbutrin. You're going to feel super weird for a few days. I'm going to call you in five days. We're going to check in, see how you're doing. We might need to adjust your dose. We're going to give this medication two weeks, and then we might need to try something else. Like She prepped me for all the potentials that could happen. And I was super fortunate that Wellbutrin worked, but I took, um, you know, I took Lexapro, which is an SSRI in high school and had, had just, I remember feeling really weird on it, like super detached, 
um, very numb, feeling very floaty, kind of dizzy. And I just stopped taking it without any, without weaning off of it and had a really bad crash, um, like had really unstable moods. And so I was very scared to try medication again after that. And I think the thing that I wish I had known and the thing I want other people to understand is like, that is a thing that can happen. And like, it's not a sign that something is wrong. It's a sign that I didn't have the support I needed. Like you should never stop taking an SSRI. Just cold turkey. Just cold turkey. It's such, you know, it's so dangerous for your brain chemistry to do that. Um, And so that's really, that's like, that's a failure of the healthcare system. And of the way that we treat mental health and of the way that we support women's mental health and women of color in particular. Um, And I feel like this is a good time to tie in a really important lens that you and I both have that we share about mental health and the use of pharmaceuticals in particular. And that is that, um, you know, we both recognize that living in a racist patriarchal white supremacist capitalist society is just inherently damaging to our wellness and well-being. And um, we have different ways that we navigate, you know, work. We put on corporate skin suits to go to work and we use pharmaceuticals to help manage our mental health um, in this space. Uh, We were riffing on this a little bit before we started recording and really I wanted to make sure to bring it in. I know for me, I've seen a lot of TikToks in particular about like embracing how ADHD makes your brain different and working with it. And like, that's all well and good, but that's not how I view mental health. I'm, I recognize that like mental health is pathologized in our world because anybody who's not a successful white man in business is pathologized in some way. And if I'm going to like keep my wits about me, have some modicum of enjoyment in my life and like still make the money that I want to make, quite frankly, and live the life I want to live, like part of that is going to require putting on a corporate skin suit to go to work and taking meds to make sure that my brain doesn't literally break while I'm doing that. Well said. Absolutely well said. And I, I think we've both talked about how we have to put on our our skin suit to survive at work. And in the same vein that you said you would use yoga when you were depressed and you would just say, I need to take care of my well-being, right? I can diet and exercise my way out of depression. I had always thought I can work harder. I can work my way out of my ADHD mm-hmm. symptoms. If I employ a better time management system if I just prepare better for my day I could get more done I can achieve more I can stop having these these symptoms that I'm having uh because because nobody nobody else nobody else has these problems but me but I think I've come to realize that I think one, more people have kind of ADHD symptoms than are willing to admit. And that two, they're much different in women. So I was recently diagnosed with ADHD and the two main symptoms for women, and this is what my nurse practitioner had told me that I'm working with. The first one is interrupting and the second one is daydreaming. And it's interesting because as children, boys, you know, are typically diagnosed with ADHD when they're like six or seven right? Because if a boy is interrupting or a boy is daydreaming, it's like, oh, that's not normal. 
But if a girl is doing it, she's misbehaving. She just needs to have better discipline and better self-control, which is in the same way that I've been telling myself, I need to have better discipline and self-control with my time management, with the way that I organize my work. And so for me, it was kind of revolutionary to hear, like, I interrupt people a lot. I daydream a lot. And it's not because I'm a bad person or because I don't have good time management skills. It's again, because I have mental health issues that I need to address. Yeah. So what was that like for you to hear from your nurse practitioner that these two symptoms that you experience are indicative of ADHD in women? I definitely felt like it was validating because I'm really hard on myself, right? Especially having gone through this journey with antidepressants. And I just felt like it was really validating because I have gotten to this point in my career where my work schedule is very demanding. I'm having to do more challenging and strategic work that has really pushed me to my limits. And you know, feeling like I'm not capable of doing it when I know that I am is a really bad feeling. I know that I can do these things on my own, but I just can't. And I can't get past this kind of like mental block. And part of it is because I'm just can't focus. And a big part of it is that I can't focus. I'm just scattered all over the place. I work from home. So I want to do dishes. I want to make my bed. I want to, you know, play with my bunny. I want to go work (laughs) in my garden. And also, you know, then the daydreaming part is huge for me which I think I've always labeled as like disassociating, but which is probably that too. But anyways, so yeah, I think, um, you know, being able to take medication for ADHD, I started probably like two, three months ago at this point has really been a game changer for me to be able to really focus at work, get my work done, be able to get past these mental blocks that I just mentioned and really be a good capitalist and participate in capitalism (laughs) in the way that I, that I like, you know, know that I have to in order to survive. I do this because it works for me when it works for me. Right. And I know what my limits are and it's just, it's been a journey. I've been on this journey for five years now. So it's not, they're not bad, right? Medications are pharmaceuticals specifically are not bad for you when you can figure out how to make them work within your, in your own ways. Right. Right. So having realistic expectations, you know, having the right support, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, that means really advocating for yourself, making sure that you have the right care providers, um, potentially educating yourself or like reaching out to friends who have been there who can help kind of guide you. I definitely try to help friends as much as possible and prepare them to have realistic expectations of their medication experiences. Um, But also, you said this thing that I really want to make sure that we highlight, which is that with, with your ADHD medication in particular, you don't take it when you don't need to. So, um, I, one of the main concerns, you know, that we had, we've both heard that we discussed earlier was like feeling really dependent on a medication. And it sounds like that hasn't been your experience with Adderall, which I think is a real big concern of taking stimulants. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to downplay this at all because I know that it is a very addictive medicine that has ruined a lot of people's lives. And so I'm by no means making light of that in any ways, anyway, especially with my previous statements about saying how I am able to make it work for me. Uh, But yes, I know that is a big concern for me. I haven't really experienced that specifically because like, 
no other time in my, like, no, there's no time on my weekends where I have to sit at a computer for five hours and stay focused. And that's really what it helps me do. You know, I know that it's also used as like a party drug, as an appetite suppressant. I don't party and I love to eat, so I don't really have those issues. But I know, I do know that other people do. And I, of course, like, I don't want to make light of that at all. I think the ongoing disclaimer here is just like, everyone's mileage may vary. We are just two people recording a podcast because we think we're funny and like we spent all this time talking anyway so we might as well record it yeah that's perfect yeah exactly yes thank you the only like the only thing anyone should take away maybe is just like a new perspective maybe some insight maybe you feel validated or seen or like something you relate to is reflected in our own experiences but at the end of the day it's like two personal experiences not generalizable sample size is two don't don't make any big life decisions based on this right thank you i appreciate that disclaimer and i think i'll you're right about just we're just two people we want to record this and i just felt like i wished that i had heard somebody else talk about it in this manner five years ago right because there was nobody in my world or in my sphere that I could talk to about these things that talked about it in the same way that I feel about it now. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, I agree. I was so glad to have you in my sphere when I did start taking antidepressants. Cause I immediately, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I can talk to you right? about this. This is great. It's a whole new world. <laughs> I mean, um, it is, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I love I how you said you could just feel like you can live your life again. And I remember you texting me saying, like, I feel happy feelings. What are these? <laughs> <laughs> it's like been so long, you know? And yeah. Yeah, it feels like um like the good feelings actually have they like stand a fighting chance, you know. Um oh another, you know, another misconception I definitely had was that like antidepressants were gonna numb out the hard feelings. Um, that's definitely how I responded to Lexapro, but, um, I say similar to you, like the NDRI that, that Wellbutrin is, has worked a lot better for me specifically. Um, I think that I also have like quite a few symptoms of ADHD. I've never, as of yet, have not been, been diagnosed. Um, cause I haven't talked to a medical professional about it. Although I have had some conversations with my therapist who is, she's a licensed clinical social worker. So she's like really careful to let me know that she's not credentialed to diagnose, but we've like looked at the DSM criteria. And while I do meet a lot of the criteria in terms of the behaviors, um, because they don't necessarily negatively impact my life in measurable ways, Um, I do think that I have like a bit of a milder case going on self-diagnosis and just having a, you know, having just like a touch of assistance on the dopamine side um, is definitely, has definitely been helpful for me. So good. Uh, Yeah. It's like, it's, it's really, it's been something that has been so influential in a positive way. I mean, taking medication has been so influential in a positive way that I really, it is one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you because I agree. Like, I just, I don't hear people talking like very, um, like real talk. Here are the pros, here are the cons. And also like, you know, give it a shot. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Definitely give it a shot. If you feel like you have like the right medical care, you have people that are going to be able to support you around, like supportive that are around you. 
Um, because, you know, like I mentioned before, it was definitely a journey to get to where I am now. And I know that you have also had um, different experiences like with anxiety medication that, you know, I have never really used before. Like, do you want to talk about kind of your journey around working with your nurse practitioner around kind of events of grief and how pharmaceuticals were able to give you a little bit of like support then? Yeah, for sure. Um, So in November of 2020, a close friend of mine died by suicide and you know, I was struggling with depression, anxiety, and PTSD and in therapy for all of those things before that. Um, And we had had the pandemic year and our grandfather died of COVID and our parents became extremely sick with COVID. This was all within like a period of maybe two months. And then my friend Hannah died. And I mean, just there is no amount of yoga, diet, or exercise that was going to help me manage that. I think that like, uh, the way that I think about it or the way I sort of describe it now, it's just like my brain broke. I, I remember like, I literally was just sitting there. I was still in shock. And the first thing I did was text my nurse practitioner. Um, I'm very privileged to be able to be a member of a direct primary care practice so I can text my nurse practitioner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a game changer. I texted her. I told her what happened and I just was like, I need help. And she's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Um, so what she did was she sent three prescriptions to the pharmacy for me. One was for hydroxazine, um, for, cause I told her the main thing I was experiencing was anxiety and hydroxazine is a good sort of first line anxiety medication for short term use. Um, as far as I understand, I did a lot of Googling. It's just like a really strong antihistamine, I guess. It's like taking a super Benadryl. Interesting. Um, I did not realize that. Yeah, it's it frequently prescribed. <laughs> it does. It's frequently prescribed for like itchy skin, actually. Oh, wow. The main side effect is drowsiness. So like this is another way that it helps with anxiety. Um, but one of the nice things is you don't, it it is fast acting and you don't have to wean off of it. So she said, you know, in the immediate future for the next like couple weeks, however long it takes, just take hydroxazine once or twice a day. She gave me like a max dose I could take. Um, she sent in a 30-day supply of clonopin, um, which is clonazepam. It's a benzodiazepine. Um, I honestly don't know how they work. I just know they knock you out. And she was like, cut these in half. So she prescribed like one milligram. It's really, you know, the smallest dose you can prescribe. But she was like, cut these in half. Take them if you can't sleep. Um, you only get 30 days. So use it wisely. She told me she wouldn't refill it because those are extremely habit forming. And you do not get good REM sleep when you take benzos. But I was not able to sleep at so like here's the trade-off right it's like I'm either gonna get like drug-induced sleep of some kind or I'm not gonna sleep at all so I took the pharmaceuticals um and then I was also having I started having pretty intense panic attacks and so the clonopin was also helpful for like a fast acting solution for that um you know at the end of the day I I never refilled the hydroxazine I still haven't taken all the clonopin it got me through those first like very hairy three months. And, and actually I remember like having them available, just like knowing they were on my nightstand if I needed them enabled me to like 
actually be able to function a little bit better than I think I would have otherwise. Like even just the presence of knowing that I had something there for relief um, was helpful. And then the third thing that she called in was Wellbutrin. And she was like, don't start this until we talk about it. Um, you can't take it while you're taking uh, hydroxyzine for sure. And it's, you know, you have to be super careful when you mix Wellbutrin with alcohol. You can't mix it with THC. You can't mix it with benzodiazepines. So, you know, we ha- I had to stop everything else basically before I started the Wellbutrin. And, um... But yeah, it was like, I was so grateful that she, a couple of things. One is like, she immediately recognized that I was really in distress. Like, that's the main thing. Like, I didn't know what I needed. I just knew that I was distressed. I wasn't sleeping. Um, Because like, because I have a PTSD brain, like this event triggered a bunch of maladaptive shit that just like messes with my life and she got that very quickly and so she made a plan for like how I could manage it short and long short term long term and then in acute situations um and I really I feel like a little bit of a like I'm that friend now that's like hey you know if you're having a hard time you could just take like half a clonopin tonight if you feel like that's okay with you. And I've had some friends say like, yeah, okay, I could try that. And I've had other friends be like, no, like that scares me. I don't want to go down that road. I'd rather not sleep. So I do think that there really is this thing of like knowing yourself really well. And in this particular situation, um, I knew that I was going to be okay because like my need for help was so profound. And I knew that like meditating and singing mantras and doing yoga was not going to be the thing that helped me get to sleep. Right. You needed a little bit of scientific help, honestly. You know, I think we often think about like, we don't, I guess at the end of the day, and this is actually something our mother said growing up, you don't have to suffer. Like we live in modern times. You don't have to suffer unless you want to, right? Like if you don't want to sleep, that's fine. But if you want to sleep, (laughs) you should take a Klonopin. Yeah, like if you, she would always say that, especially around ibuprofen. She'd be like, you don't need to have a headache, like take an ibuprofen. So, you know, what's an interesting thing that's come up for me a few times in our conversation is I feel like this remnant of of a belief system I, I held for a lot of years keeps coming up and like 27-year-old Marina really wants to like butt into the conversation we're having and be like, well, you know everything that the two of you are describing is like energetic disturbances. Like you need to stop medicating. What you need to do is recognize that your body is trying to tell you to clean up your life. You need to change your work environment. You need to pursue what you're passionate about. You shouldn't be in spaces that require you to medicate. Um, You know, in my case, you know, 27 year old Marina would be like, you need to let yourself feel your grief. You need to let it wash over you. You need to sit in meditation. You need to see an energy worker. Um, You know, I don't, it's hard for me not to talk in a disparaging way about my, the belief systems I held in the past, but I also don't want to do that because my beliefs are always changing. Right. So like, I can't make fun of myself because who knows, I might come right back around. Um, I'm just really struck by the fact that there was a time in my life that I really believed that lifestyle, energy medicine, meditation, um, crystals, tarot cards, metaphysical interventions 
were the only things that worked and that anything pharmaceutical, Western medicine was just inherently not to be trusted. And that's not true for me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. And I think those things have a place. And I think it's important that we, I think we both recognize that we live in a system and we need to do what we have to do to survive. And this is part of survival on it at the end of the day, honestly. Yeah. And survival looks a lot of different ways. Um, I definitely have plenty of friends that don't engage with pharmaceuticals, but like, you know, if antidepressants, um, ADHD meds and anxiety medication, like if that's what survival looks like for you, then I think that, that we're just here to say like, that's valid. It's not like, you know, I, maybe here's like the thing that is really like coming up for me is that, um, it's morally neutral. This is what Domestic Blister says on TikTok all the time. Casey Davis, LPC. I learned so much from her. We love you. We love you, Casey we Davis. Love you, Casey. It is morally neutral. You are not yes. better well or worse if you meditate versus if you medicate. Mm-hmm. I love that. Meditate. You are not. Yes, yes, yes. Well said. That is exactly like how the point I felt like I was trying to convey. So well said. You <laughs> are not better or worse if you meditate or medicate. Oh, I love that. I think that should be the new tagline for this podcast. <laughs> I think so. Your big sister. You're not better if you meditate or medicate. <laughs> or it's like we meditate and medicate. <laughs> I don't, I'm not meditating very much right now, if I'm being honest. I mean, it's it's I always have like a I do have like a you know I always meditate a couple minutes a day or I take a few mindful breaths but um like the lo- like the lengthier meditation practice just has not been accessible to me um I know it'll come back around but like yeah being like grieving is like this whole different experience which we'll do a totally different app on that because that's like a whole thing worth discussing but yes absolutely absolutely you did a good job today, though. I think, did you have any final thoughts that you want to share about yeah. um, using medicinals to survive? <laughs> yeah, I think my final thought is just make sure that you have support um, from medical professionals. And also, I think, Maria, you had already mentioned this, but I just also want to make it known that we do have access to, I also have a, pri- a private um, healthcare clinic that I go to that I pay for out of pocket. I use private um ADHD, um, like a provider, like I work with a company that specifically specializes in that. I have a therapist, all of which I pay for out of pocket. And so I think a lot of this does take money and access. So I think don't want to overshadow that. But if you feel like you have done everything that you can, and you're still suffering, don't rule out medication, because it can really change your life in so many positive ways. Yeah. What about you, Marina? You're right. Uh, I'll borrow and echo something you said. So uh, maybe because you and I put on corporate skin suits and medicate to survive capitalism, we both have enough financial resources to pay for therapy and direct primary care out of pocket. So that is definitely a thing. Um, You know, at the same time, I think that there are plenty of, there are, plenty of things out there that are available that will help provide access. My main thing that I want to just kind of like land on is 
to keep an open mind about meditation. Like, I think that there are a lot of people out there right now selling spirituality as a cure-all. And yeah. it's like very, there's a lot of um, distrust of pharmaceutical companies, of scientists, of the medical profession going on right now. And I don't want anybody to suffer because they've ruled out something that can really help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Rain. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.